When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Hello, everyone. My name is Ellis Williams, and you are listening to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. We have a lot to discuss today, including Odell Beckham Jr.'s continued struggles with Baker Mayfield. You know, if things don't get straightened out, could he be on his way out of Cleveland? I know it sounds wild to entertain just eight games in, but this is a results-driven league and a player empowerment era. It's something we probably have to entertain. We'll also discuss Kareem Hunt's return to the Browns, what that means, and so much more. So before we get to our show, which features Browns insider Mary Kay Cabot and beat writer Dan Lobby, here's what's happening with your Cleveland Browns. The Browns are still reeling and trying to find answers after they fell to 2-6 and six with Sunday's loss to the Broncos. A key question this week is if the return of Kareem Hunt can make a difference. Hunt will play for the Browns for the first time this regular season after serving an eight-game suspension. How will the Browns work Hunt into an offense that already features Nick Chubb, Odell Beckham Jr., and Jarvis Landry? Coach Freddie Kitchen said Wednesday, quote, We are still trying to find out what we can draw up. And guard Joe Batonio added, quote, We have some stuff planned. As for Baker Mayfield, the Browns quarterback is spending this week trying to figure out what he can do to get the offense on track. He also is explaining why he shaved twice on Sunday in Denver. Once before the game, from a beard to Fu Manchu, and the second after the game when he went down to a regular mustache. Mayfield says he always has played well in a Fu Manchu, but decided he had to shave it after the game because he, quote, didn't deserve it. Mayfield and Kitchens are answering questions about why Mayfield seems to be locking onto receivers and making short throws to avoid interceptions instead of letting it rip downfield. That includes a pivotal fourth down play late against the Broncos when Mayfield threw to a short and covered Jarvis Landry over the middle instead of firing a deep shot down the sideline to Odell Beckham. Beckham had a step on his defender, but the ball didn't go there. Kitchens told reporters, quote, I think protecting the football is the number one job of the quarterback. The number two job is to play fearlessly because you never are going to make those plays until you do. I think he has done a good job of putting things behind him and moving forward. Some of those situations you may be talking about are dictated by situation. I think everyone needs to just be more consistent. I think everybody realizes that. The Bills and quarterback Josh Allen are coming to town with a 6-2 record, the franchise's best in 26 years. But their six wins have come against teams with a combined record of 9-43 entering this week. One area the Browns will try to exploit is the Bills' run defense. The Bills have given up 556 rushing yards and six scores over the past four games after losing defensive tackle Harrison Phillips to the season-ending knee injury. To help plug those holes, Buffalo signed defensive tackle Corey Legit to a one-year deal this week. Legit is a 6'2", 300-pound defensive tackle 
who played three games with the Raiders this season before being released last week. He was a first-round pick of the Chargers in 2011 and played eight seasons with them. So there you have it. That's what's happening with your Cleveland Browns. So without further ado, let's just hop right into this thing. Joining me in our downtown Cleveland studio, in what I might start calling our secret spot, you know, you never know, we have insiders Mary Kay Cabot and beat writer Dan Lobby. First, Mary Kay, you wrote an interesting column this morning detailing why the Browns organization and fans should be concerned with the possibility of Odell Beckham leaving after a slow start, if you will. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about what you wrote? Uh, yeah, basically, in watching Odell in the game the other day and seeing how frustrated he was and seeing that Baker didn't go to him and then adding it all up, it just seems to me that right now he's a little frustrated, he's not happy, and if things don't turn around here, uh, it makes me think that, that Odell might want to uh, not be here anymore. If he doesn't see that this team is poised to win big and for him to have the kind of career that he wants to have. And why do I feel that way? Because, look, he sat down with Lil Wayne and Josina Anderson and basically kind of got himself out of New York. Uh, he didn't want to be in a place anymore where he wasn't going to be winning and he wasn't going to be getting the kind of production that he wanted to have. This is an individual who wants to break Jerry Rice's all-time receiving yardage record of over whatever, 22,000 yards. He's got a long way to go to be able to do that. And then we all saw how he looked at Tom Brady, yeah. how he talked about Bill Belichick, how he talks about Sean McVay. He just wants a certain thing out of his career, and if he's not going to get it here, he's not going to be happy. Yeah, there aren't a lot of players in the NFL that have power. It's it's an owner's league. It's a, it's a league where guys, you know, they just don't have the power they have in the NBA. But Odell Beckham is one of those guys that has that sort of power. And um, it was it was just, he's a guy that if he wants out, he can get out. And he can he can make life miserable because, you know, he he's not afraid to, you know, go out on his own and, and talk to somebody, do an interview with somebody like you mentioned. Uh, he's not afraid to uh, to speak his mind. He got traded here. That's the thing to remember. He didn't come here by choice. He got traded here. Of course, he's got Jarvis Landry here. Uh, so, so the Browns have that going for them. But you, you've got to make him want to be here over being in some big market like you know, LA or San Francisco, who we know was, was very interested in him when, when all that trade stuff was going down. So, you know, you've got to prove that, that he belongs here. This is a place where he can win. And this is a place where he can get the football. He wants the football. Yeah. And, and not only that, you know, when we were in new England, I mean, you saw it there, Dan, I saw it there too. Uh, you know, he spent time with Tom Brady there. He gave him the goat haired shoes for the greatest of all time. Yeah. Uh, he has relationships with these people. I mean, they're his friends. And when you look at the New England Patriots, look, they tried to have Antonio Brown there. They they tried to have Josh Gordon. Bill Belichick certainly understands the value of having a superstar receiver. So, you know, I, I just think it's very clear uh, that that is the sort of thing that Odell Beckham Jr. wants and that if, if he doesn't see things going here the way that he wants them to, uh, that I, I think he could try to force the issue for something like that. Look at Josh Gordon right now. Not only did Josh Gordon basically get his way out of Cleveland, right. which he really did. I, I believe that he orchestrated his way out of Cleveland. He got himself to the New England Patriots, and now he has been able his way out to the Seattle Seahawks where he is playing with Russell Wilson. Odell Beckham Jr. has always wanted to play with 
a Tom Brady or an elite quarterback like that. Now, maybe Baker Mayfield is going to be an elite quarterback, but we can see those two guys are struggling in a big way right now, and they need to demonstrate that, that this is going to get better soon or this is not an equitable situation. Yeah, let's put this in perspective. Odell Beckham Jr. is on track for a little over 1,000 yards mm -hmm. and two touchdowns. Yeah. You know, those are eye-popping numbers, and really just in the numbers alone give reason for concern. Another thing Mary Kay found interesting in your piece was him wanting to restructure a deal. Now, is this something where Cleveland not only needs to worry about the numbers and the performance on field, but they might this offseason need to get the money right with Odell too? Yeah, I would think so. I, I would think that that would be one of the things that he would bring to the table if he's not entirely sure about how things are going to be going you know, on the field. Okay. Uh, I would think that he would ask for a restructuring. A lot of times when you end up getting traded or going to a new team, that is something that players demand. And like Dan said, he's got some power and he's got some leverage. They gave up a first-round pick. They gave up a third-round pick and Jabril Peppers to get him. So in addition to paying him $14 million a year, they gave up a lot of assets to get him. So it, it's in their best interest to make him happy and to make this work. And that might include him coming to the table and saying, I want more guaranteed money. It's, it's got to be frustrating because when he got here, the whole idea was, hey, you're away from Eli Manning now. You know, Eli Manning is, is clearly not even starting in New York anymore. He was... Uh, certainly in the down downspin of his career, and, and there was he, Odell wasn't getting the ball where he should be getting the ball. The idea was Baker Mayfield was going to make that better. And outside of a couple plays here and there, there was a play in New York, uh, the one in Seattle against Seattle. There were the two plays uh, here against Denver. There just hasn't been a whole lot to speak of, and Baker Mayfield isn't dropping back and looking Odell Beckham's way. He's not forcing him the ball. He's not leaning on him as a security blanket. It, he's just not getting the ball to him, and it's hurting Baker, it's hurting Odell, it's hurting the offense. Uh, these two just aren't on the same page, and we're eight games into this. They should be. There should be more chemistry, you know, whether Odell, I know Odell missed, missed the spring and all that, but there should be more chemistry than there is now. You know, we just saw uh, Cortland Sutton make a great catch from a quarterback who's never thrown a pass in an yeah. NFL game. There should be some chemistry between these two, and there just isn't. Yeah, it's it's very unusual. It's uncanny uh, that they don't have the chemistry at this point. Uh, but again, as I pointed out in the uh, in the column that I wrote today, I think some of the things that are happening is Baker has it drilled into his head, and we talked about this a little bit last week. He's got it drilled into his head that you know you're going to play the numbers, you're going to try to find man coverage, you're looking for the one-on-one -on -one matchups, and uh, if he perceives or sees that there's a safety over the top, he's not going there. But again as we saw on the fourth and four from the 28, the crucial play of the game, uh, Odell Beckham Jr. had Chris Harris, who he had already beaten twice, uh, he had him singled up down the left side, and he was open. He had a step on him. Yep. And Baker just is not super confident going to him. And why is that? I'll tell you exactly why that is. Because they didn't do it. They didn't rep it together in OTAs. They didn't rep it together in training camp. And he just doesn't really have that comfort level with him, that nuanced feeling that you have, uh, kind of the feeling that he has with Richard Higgins, which that's a whole nother topic, um, but he just doesn't really have that with him. And now today, he did admit, Baker did admit today, we have to force the issue a little bit with Odell Beckham Jr. I think organizationally, I think they made a decision after this past game, 
I think that it's something that they must have verbalized. They probably sat down. They probably talked it out. And I think they have made an organizational decision. You know what? We've got to get the ball to Odell Beckham Jr. They did not target him at all in the red zone. They went one for five in yep. red, zone red zone touchdowns. That's not okay. Yep. That is not going to cut it. The team is two and six. If the team was six and two and they're going one and five, which of course wouldn't happen anyways, in the red zone, that's another story. But to be two and six and not using your superstar, okay, it's not perfect. Baker Mayfield doesn't, I mean, Odell Beckham Jr. doesn't always know where to be, when to be there. Or if he does know where to be, when to be there, he's trying to get open somehow. And he's freelancing if he has to. And Right? Yeah. And Baker is just has to look for him, look back at him, you know, look at him a second time, go through your reads and progressions. But the primary thing in, foremost in your mind has got to be, how can I get the ball to this superstar? Yeah, because they're running out of excuses at this point. You know, like Dan said, it's been eight games. You look at, you know, players tr- switch teams all the time. The 49ers acquired Emmanuel Sanders this year, and he scored his first game with the 49ers. Um so, like I said, they're running out of excuses. And I want to touch again on that fourth and four play. Uh, Jay Feely of CBS reported that Odell said, I can't get the ball, quote, I can't get the ball to save my life here. Mm-hmm. And Odell, after the game, said he didn't remember saying it. But as you wisely pointed out in your piece, he didn't deny it either. Right. Uh, I guess I don't want to pin this as a he said, she said thing, but how much truth do you think is in there? And that's, I mean, that's got to just be how Odell feels right now, that he, though 87 yards is fine, he isn't getting the ball when he's open. And there's, there's got to be some truth there, right? Well, you know, I think that his actions kind of backed up what Jay Feely was saying. Okay? Yeah, good point. Now, if Jay Feely thinks that he heard that, there's a good chance that he heard right. that. Is, is Odell going to come out and try to admit that? No, he would be, it would be silly for him to admit that. He's a savvy veteran. He knows that, you can't admit to saying something like yeah. that. Uh, so whether he said it or he didn't say it, uh, he kind of feels that way. And we could see it when he, you know, held his head and, you know, and he, he dropped, you know, he doubled over like like he was so frustrated and he kind of like punched the air and did some other things that suggest. Look, he came out last week and he said, I'm hungry. I want to help this team win. I want to do whatever I can. Let's take a bunch of pressure off of our second-year quarterback put it on my back, and let me roll with this thing. Yeah, and he started beating Chris Harris there towards the end, like you said. Those two, he had two huge catches down the stretch, one setting up Jarvis Landry's touchdown, the Browns' only touchdown of the game. He was getting in a groove there, showing that the guy is matchup proof. I don't think anyone forgot that, but he reminds us once again, when the ball comes his way, good things tend to happen. Dan, I want to ask you simply, how do you see this ending, or are we going to be right back here next week talking about more reasons and why Odell Beckham Jr. isn't getting the ball? It'll be interesting to watch. If they do start to force the ball to him, is that going to be a bad thing now? You know, we've talked about maybe they should force it to him more, but what if they go a little over the top? And we know that Baker uh, has turned the ball over a lot, that it hasn't all been his fault. But if you start turning the ball over against this Bills team, this is a very good defense. You give Josh Allen some short fields to work with and help them out, allow them to run the football like, like they want to do. You know, maybe it could go the opposite way. I, I think there's a happy medium between forcing the ball to Odell, which, again, he should be doing more of that. When he's got no place else to go, he should be looking for number 13 and, and just getting him the ball when he's supposed to get him the ball. And, and we're just not seeing that across the board from Baker Mayfield right now with, with any receiver. Well, one of the one of the problems with this, too, is the fact that Baker has been putting too much heat on the ball. Yep. He hasn't really been throwing uh, 
a catchable ball, at least not for Odell Beckham Jr. and to a certain extent, Jarvis Landry. For whatever reason, those guys have both, I think, and I think that it's the proof is in the film, have both been a little bit off with Baker. And I think that's in part because uh, Baker hasn't been super precise and as accurate as he has been in the past, but also uh, he's been throwing the ball really, really hard. Uh, we saw it on the second drive where he kind of went uh, high and hard on two passes back to back to Jarvis and Odell, and neither of them could get it. We've seen it with other players this year. Now, whenever I try to say that to other people, the people are like, well, hey, what about Brett Favre? I mean, no, nobody worried about Brett Favre, you know, throwing bullets like that. You know, you just catch the darn ball. But for whatever reason, and maybe it's because Odell spent five years with Eli, he is struggling to adjust to the what he called 900-mile-an-hour fastball. But Freddie Kitchens did say today that they were going out to practice and they were going to work on that. So they are working with Baker on touch, and I suspect, I suspect that Freddie Kitchens has gotten more involved with Baker over the last couple weeks. Yeah, I would agree with that. And to, to the point about the whole Brett Favre and throwing fastballs type of thing, I want listeners to try and think of it like this. Look, I'm no chef, but it's like trying to cook something in an oven that should be at about 425, and you just throw it in there at 650 for some reason. It's not going to turn out the way you want it, even though the oven or grill can go that high. It's not good for it to go that high. And Baker Mayfield is likely going to start toning these throws down because what that really tells me is it's a quarterback scared of turning the ball over. It's a defense mechanism. In his mind, he thinks if I rip this ball, either my guy or no one is going to catch it. And he's right about that, but no one's catching it. And that's ultimately the problem. Of course, we don't want the ball getting turned over, but if a guy who's made a career out of one-handed catches and supposedly can catch anything is complaining about the speed, that's got to get slowed down. And Brett Favre's a Hall of Famer who we're talking about in hindsight. Yep. Baker Mayfield's not that. So, he, I mean, he hasn't earned that benefit of the doubt yet. And maybe 20 years from now or 25 years from now, however we're covering sports or podcasting or whatever, <laughs> we'll look back and say, oh, Baker Mayfield you know, used to break receivers' fingers and, and – his team's won, and he won Super Bowls and whatever. But we're talking about Brett Favre in hindsight versus Baker Mayfield now, and Baker just hasn't earned that benefit of the doubt. Well, I, I think that's his, his default. I think that is it. When you are throwing a bunch of interceptions, uh, like you mentioned, Ellis, uh, you revert back to some things, and one of the, the go-to things for him has been to just gun it and to just rip it. And, and that has not been working for him with these guys. So I think that they did go back and work on that a little bit today, and they're going to work on it all week and make it a point of emphasis. Uh, so that's one of the things that they're going to try to do to fix this problem. Yep. One other thing that wasn't working for uh, Baker Mayfield was his facial hair on Sunday. Uh, he shaved three different times of show, showing up to Denver on Sunday with a full beard uh, and then having a Fu Manchu during the game and then having just the regular mustache after it feels silly we're discussing this, but we are because it was brought up today in his press conference, and he simply said that he was undefeated with the handlebar mustache, if you will. Um, and then after playing how he did and the Browns losing, he felt he wasn't worthy. So he then shaved it and made a regular mustache. So with that, I just want to ask, what do you guys make of all this? And does it say anything at all about where his head might be, or are we looking too much into this? 
think in the big picture, it probably doesn't matter, but it's obviously a topic, and it's just one of those things we're all looking at and saying, you know, we had the shoes on Sunday, and then we had yeah. the facial hair on Sunday, and you start to wonder, what is this team focused on? Uh, what, you know, what's the culture of this team? What's the standard of this team? You know, I don't see... You know Lamar Jackson shaving you know twice on Sunday when they're about to play the Patriots. I, you know I'm not we're not seeing these things. You know, look if they win that game, it's a funny story and everybody thinks the facial hair is great. It's all you know results based when we react to this stuff. So I, in the big picture, I don't know that this necessarily means anything, but it's just like you know at this point it's become about can we just go play football? Like at this point, you're two and six. This stuff is really fun when you're winning. It's really fun in July when you haven't played any games, but you're not winning. So, you know, let, let's just go play football. And and when you start winning again, then you can start doing all this stuff. You know what? The the whole shaving thing just eluded me. It just <laughs> meant nothing to me. And maybe it's because I'm a female and I don't have to worry about facial hair most of the time. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> But it just did nothing for me. I, you know, it was like one of those things that it's like a sort of almost an internet sensation. It's something that makes for good photos. But I mean, look at the way that uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick has shown up after games yeah. in certain outfits. Look at the way that Cam Newton has shown up for games in, in different clothes and outfits. It just did nothing to me. I mean, the, the cleats was something different because that involved something that you had to do during a football game. You had to go inside, you had to change your cleats. Uh, that was a little bit of a distraction. But the facial hair thing, I, it just meant absolutely nothing to me. It, I would not have cared if he shaved his hair into a mohawk and, you know, right before he came out for the, for the interview. It just did nothing for me. And, I mean, it was kind of a cute little thing today. I mean, it meant so nothing to me that I, like, forgot to write about it today. Yep. <laughs> I'm like, facial hair just, do, um, you know, in the grand scheme of everything going on with the Browns right now, it meant nothing to me. But uh, just just to push back just a little, because I do kind of agree that it doesn't mean a whole lot. But every week there is some sort of stupid little thing with this football team. It's cleats, or it's a watch, or it's facial hair. It's Macaulay Culkin, you know, tweeting at Baker Mayfield. It's O.J. Simpson offering advice to Baker Mayfield on how to handle press conference. I know those two things are out of his control, but it's just every week there's something. There's just something going on with this team that's not football-related, and you add it all up, and they're losing, too, and I don't think it's why they're losing. But you've got a first-time head coach. You've got all these expectations and we're talking about clown shoes and gold shoes and facial hair and watches and a million different things that are not football related. Well, think about this. Think about this. Baker Mayfield was so professional and subdued in his press conference today after what happened last week with him stalking off and, and all that sort of thing that, I mean, you would think in another week, a facial hair question might get a dumb, that's a dumb question right, right. remark. But, oh, no. I mean, he told a nice little story exactly about <laughs> why he shaved off the Fu, I call it the Fu Minchu. Um, <laughs> like why that. he shaved off the Fu Manchu. And, uh, like, he had no problem whatsoever answering a facial hair question, which I thought was kind of funny. Yeah, that is intriguing. And, Dan, I think there's something to your point about how these small things seem to just keep piling up for Cleveland. Like, I'll propose this. Why not just go to your presser and then shave 
at night or before leaving the stadium after your presser. You know, it's just, it's, look, because his, maybe his mind isn't there and it, he, they just lost a huge game and he just did what he did. But it, somewhere in this, uh, you're the quarterback machine uh, and a face of the franchise, you've got to be aware that it's not going to take anyone that long to grab a shot of you walking in, a shot of you on the field, and a shot of you post-game, which is essentially what went around Twitter after the game, right. and you're creating a story without even trying to. Um, and again, this isn't a story as in what's why he's playing bad. It's just, it, it may speak to an overall lack of self-awareness within this organization when it comes to handling Baker Mayfield and giving attention to what's important and what isn't. Would it have been a story if they had won the game? What do you think? It would have been a different tone. Right. Or he would have just kept the Fu Manchu. You know, but it would have <laughs> oh, yeah, been a different right. tone. I mean, it was a story before the game that he came out with the Fu Manchu. Yeah. And then afterwards, you know, people kind of put the photos together of him with the beard yeah. and then the Fu Manchu and then shaving. But I think that, I think what pushed it over the top is you had the Fu Manchu. Everybody knew it was there. You know if you're an NFL player, you're walking out on the field with the Fu Manchu, there's going to be photos. It's going to go on social media. This isn't 2010 anymore. All these guys know that everything they do is going to end up on Twitter and Instagram. I mean, that's part of why they do it. And then he shaved it, which just drew more attention to it after the loss. So, look, like I said, all this stuff is more fun when you're winning. You know, we had a whole mustache press conference during training camp, and it went viral. And I forget exactly what he said. I think it was actually Tony Gross' question that he answered <laughs> about how everything's better with the mustache or whatever it was. Um, but you're losing now. You're 2-6. and six. And again, it's just, you know, Ellis, you said it. It feels like this organization isn't self-aware, and we go back to benefit of the doubt. We all kind of know this organization has not been very self-aware sure. going all the way back to when they came back in 99. So, yeah, I think we frame it because they're losing, and I think it wouldn't have been as big a deal if they had won. But it just add, it just keeps piling on and on as these losses pile up. I just enjoyed the memes after the game where he, oh, where he was the detective. Oh, I man. mean, I just thought that that was so funny. Uh, you know, that I, I, I enjoyed that it, from that aspect. I thought it was hilarious. But, again, I didn't get as worked up about the uh, changes in facial hair as a lot of other people did. Yeah, it was nonstop. I mean, everyone, everywhere from, um, like you said, the detective look to, you know, Baker looks like a guy who walks down the street to get a pack of cigs and forgot his wallet. Or just, I mean, you could have been on Twitter for hours looking at uh, those one-liners. But with the loss, it becomes this negative. Um, and so, that's sort of how I feel right now with Kareem Hunt's return. Uh, he served his suspension. He's eligible to play this week. And sounds like he's on track to do so. They win last week. This injection of Kareem Hunt becomes a oh wow the Browns are back on track. Plus they're adding Kareem Hunt. Now this feels like a guy entering a, a murky offense who that can't even figure out how to get Odell Beckham Jr. the ball. So now how is Kareem Hunt going to feature in all this? Where I'm going with this is I want to ask you guys simply what impact do you think Kareem Hunt can make this week? I think it'll be. I think he can make a big impact. I don't know how much he's going to play. Okay. Um, but, you know we don't know. Exactly. He hasn't played football for almost a year. And and that's that goes back to the point you were just making. I think the idea coming into all of this was, well, this offense is going to be unbelievable. And then week eight, they're going to, or week nine, they're going to add Kareem Hunt back in. Like they're going to be unstoppable by then. And now we're kind of looking at Kareem Hunt. Like, can he come in and save this offense? And how are, you know, can this coaching staff handle another, another guy to get the football to? 
we don't know the answers to any of that stuff. So it, it's going to help to have him back in a big way. And he's a dynamic player. He offers something that while Nick Chubb has improved catching the ball, he offers something that Nick Chubb still is working to improve. You know, you'll see, I would assume Kareem Hunt will be out there in those situations where you saw Dontrell Hilliard out there yeah. against Denver. So, so that's an upgrade. Nothing against Hilliard, but Kareem Hunt is an upgrade against Dontrell Hilliard. So even if he's just kind of an overqualified third down back this week, that, that's going to make this football team better. Remember back when all we heard from these guys, especially Baker Mayfield in training camp and in the offseason, it's going to be pick your poison. Do you remember, remember those days? Uh-huh. It was supposed, this was supposed to be a pick your poison offense. And uh, really, it's really just been a poisoned offense well since about then. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, they're going to have to prove that they can find a way to scheme it up to make this make sense. Who wants to see less of Nick Chubb, right? No who wants one to in take, Cleveland, that's for who sure. Who wants to take Nick Chubb off of the field right, right now? He is the MVP. Well, that was, that's what we've been talking about since the Denver game. Why would you take Nick Chubb off the field? <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, he's the MVP of this football team. We were all puzzled. I mean, yeah, I understand the concept of the third down back. I get that. But Nick Chubb can do those kinds of things, and in the game – with a game on the line, when you know you have to have this game to try to salvage your season, I do think that there were times where it just was baffling to me that you had Dontrell Hilliard out there and Nick Chubb on the sideline. But as far as Kareem is concerned, it, it remains to be seen. I mean, I'm almost afraid to venture a guess anymore about how I think some yeah. someone's going to be used or what kind of an impact they're going to make because what I think he should and can do might not be what he actually does do. I mean, you have to be able to scheme this up uh, to get these guys all involved. And I think it's I think it's going to be a little bit tricky. Right. So this is twofold, Mary Kay, and I'd agree that right now it would be foolish to try and forecast what any player in this offense is able to bring, especially one who's been out of football for a year, hasn't been on the field yet, etc. But what it does is automatically and immediately upgrade the third down back, which Though is a looked-over position, I think last week in Denver shows how important that spot is. And really, that change of pace back, uh, Nigel Hilliard has been, been put in some pretty monumental moments and come up short. You know, he's had a few big first downs. I remember one against the Rams uh, late in the second half. But, you know, against Seattle, he drops and causes that game-ending interception. Uh, in Denver, he can't pick up that first down, forcing Cleveland to run a sneak and then ultimately challenge and fail. So that chain that chain reaction of just not getting that extra yard in a six-man box with one guy to beat um, caused a turnover and lost Cleveland a timeout. You know, there's no way to know if Kareem Hunt picks up that first, but based off his resume leading the league and rushing his rookie year in 2017, you assume he's able to. He's just built differently. He runs differently. They're just, they're just different players. And so it will be an improvement at that position, but it's impossible to forecast how Freddie Kitchens is going to implement any of these pieces at this point. And, and what Kareem Hunt might do is kind of help Freddie Kitchens get out of his way a little bit. So now, hey, I'm not going to send Dontrell Hilliard out there on a fourth and one, or I'm not going to have Dontrell Hilliard on there on a super, you know, a play to save our season. It's going to be Kareem Hunt. So maybe it helps Freddie Kitchens kind of get out of his way a little bit uh, because he has this, this other weapon to use. The other thing to think about uh, when you discuss Kareem Hunt coming back is 
how much rust is he going to have to knock off? That's one aspect of it. The other one is how well does he know this scheme? He's yeah. never played in this offense before. So, you know, you've got to be on point with blitz pickup and all those yep. sorts of things. You're going against a really good defense. The Bills have a good defense. They've been struggling a little bit against the run in the last couple of weeks. But for the most part, this is a, a veteran defensive coordinator. This is a really sound and solid defense. And you've got to be ready. You've got to be on point. Look what happened when Antonio Callaway came back from a four-game suspension. And Freddie Kitchens, you know, had it in his mind. Look, here's the guy that can take a top, the top off of a defense. He had, you know, five touchdown catches last year. He made some big plays. He thought he could plug him right into uh, the offense and just have him pick up right where he left off last year in the final game. It didn't work out that way. So I think they have to keep that in mind a little bit with Kareem Hunt. And the other thing to consider is, just like Antonio Callaway was coming off of a high ankle sprain, Kareem Hunt is coming off of sports hernia surgery. So it's not like he's been 100% throughout this whole eight weeks that he's been suspended. He's been rehabbing a surgery for a lot of this time. Now, he looks good in practice. He looks agile. He looks he looks strong, as Nick Chubb keeps on telling us. He's got fresh legs, and he seems really ready to go. But, you know, I think you have to weigh that against how much can you do when you haven't played football in a real football game in a year. Yeah. Almost one solid year. Yeah, Mary Kay, I'm glad you bring that up um, because it'll be a – Major indictment on Freddie Kitchens if what happened to Antonio Callaway happens to Kareem Hunt on Sunday. We'll know right away, too. Kareem's in there on a third and medium. Blitz pick up, and if he doesn't go the right way and Baker gets blown up, we're going to know right away that he wasn't ready to be out there, which has had people in Cleveland and the talking heads of the world starting to call for Freddie Kitchens' job with this 2-6 and six start after all this promise. It's things like Antonio Callaway and a plethora of others that have people calling for Kitchen's job. So I want to ask you guys, after eight games, two and six, and obviously including last year, which is ultimately what got him this job, what have you seen from Freddie? Is it fair to be calling for his job already? I think it's fair to ask the question if he should get more than a year. Yeah. And it's not the record necessarily. You're, you're two and six. That you know The point is to win, and expectations were really high. But sometimes, look, you're an unlucky two and six, or you're – you know, like Denver is a team that was a pretty unlucky two and six coming into that game. They had some bad losses, but you know they lost on, you know, when Chicago got a timeout that they shouldn't have gotten, and uh, there was another game where they lost on a last-second field goal. They they had some losses like that. The Browns don't really have that on their resume, and and that's a concern. They've gotten blown out a number of times. They just lost to a two and six Denver team that was starting a quarterback who never played. He was a 2016 draft pick, and he was playing his first game, and they lost to that team. There's the organizational issues that, that we just see over and over and over again. There's the challenges. E- even that fourth down challenge, which you could justify because maybe you take your shot. I think at least for us sitting up in the press box, it was pretty clear there wasn't an angle that was going to overturn that call. So mm-hmm. then you have to weigh, is this going to get overturned versus, it's sort of like the pass interference thing. You have to weigh, is this going to get overturned versus do I need that timeout? And Freddie has consistently made poor decisions with the challenge flag. So there's just a lot of things that are going on right now that are a poor reflection on the head coach slash play caller. Obviously, he's not the offensive coordinator, but he kind of is. You know, it's sort of a mix of him and Todd Munkin. There's enough there to make you think, 
I don't know if this guy can can really handle this job right now. And this team, we talked about it with Odell Beckham, this team has to start winning. And if it doesn't happen this year, it's got to start happening next year. Absolutely. I, I think there are a lot of things that have to factor into the decision. When John Dorsey gets to the end of the season, what he has to decide is, is Freddie Kitchens the right guy to take this talented roster to the next level? Okay. There are different levels of uh, being a head coach. Well, in this particular case, you have awakened the sleeping sleeping giant. You have traded for Odell Beckham Jr. You have a Jarvis Landry. You've traded for Jarvis Landry. You've drafted Baker Mayfield, number one overall. You've taken the risk and you've signed Kareem Hunt, you know, despite the fact that uh, the court of public opinion may have gone way against you. You took the risk to do that, to add a talent like that to your football team. So the signs are there that you've got a really, really good, talented, explosive roster. And you need the kind of coach and coaching staff that can take it to the next level, not only take it to the next level, but go head-to-head with the Bill Belichicks of the world. You know, the, I mean, Vic Fangio is a good defensive coordinator. The Wade Phillips, you know, these kinds Frank, Frank of... Frank Reich. Frank Reich. You know, these are really good coaches that you have to go, go head-to-head with. Sean McVay, another really good staff. Uh, John Harbaugh, yep. right? So these are the things that you have to take into consideration. Can he, is he up to the task of taking this kind of a roster to the next level where you can compete for a Super Bowl? Because that's what this team is built for. And, you know, these are things that, that John Dorsey is going to have to ask himself when the season is over. Quarterback development, does he have what it takes uh, to take Baker Mayfield to the heights that they expect him to go to. And if not, then you either have to bring in somebody that can do that for you and you remain the head coach, or you kind of scrap the whole experiment and move on. Yeah, I think there's, at the simplest form here, two major factors. Most importantly, the development of Baker Mayfield, as you said, Mary Kay. Is Freddie Kitchens the guy that can get Baker Mayfield to where he needs to be for this team to win? As right now, the answer is no. The numbers speak for themselves. Uh, there's a stat floating on Twitter now that you know Mayfield has got the worst completion percentage with a clean pocket even. So now it's not even about the offensive line right now. He's just not himself. Mm-hmm. So it's on John Dorsey to peel the curtain back and figure out where exactly this went wrong. Is it Kitchens related or is it someone in the building they hired due to Kitchens that isn't getting the most out of Baker Mayfield? Secondly, the in-game management stuff that you mentioned, Dan, uh, the challenge flags, the just head-scratching decisions there. Uh, again, the tape is showing that Freddie goes back and calls some of the same plays in very similar sets too often. Is this a situation where maybe he can't handle the play calling? Well, if he can't handle the play calling, should he even be head coach then? There's a lot to figure out here, but again, at its simplest form, this is about the development of Baker Mayfield, and it is completely obvious that that has gone in a complete downward spiral since the start of the season. The other thing to consider here, what if he comes out in the second half of the season and he beats Cincinnati twice and he beats <laughs> yeah. the Miami Dolphins twice and all of a sudden there seems to be, and maybe they even beat the Steelers and uh, you know who knows what's going to happen with the Ravens. But what does that show you? So what that would tell me is that they got to the end of the season and proved the same thing that they did last year, that they can beat losing football teams, yeah. but they can't beat 
good football teams. So I think that's going to be a very, very big consideration that you don't get fooled by a couple of victories late in the season. And I, I think the other problem, too, is what, what have we been talking about since Sunday? You know, execution, which we always talk about after losses. Oh, we have to execute better. Everybody says that. But precision. Everything is about precision and how this team isn't precise enough. I even asked Freddie on Monday, we're eight weeks into this. We've had a training camp. We've had spring. Why, where is the precision at? And to me, it's easy to kind of look at it and say, well, that's, that's the players. But that's the coaches. The coaches have to make that happen. It, it's on the coaching staff to make sure that guys are where they're supposed to be. And when they're not where they're supposed to be, they've got to correct that in those Monday film sessions. And they've got to get that stuff fixed. And we're just not seeing those things get fixed right now. It just feels like this team is relying a lot on Odell Beckham will get going and David Njoku will be back and Kareem Hunt's going to be here. But the reality is at some point you've got to stand on that sideline and outcoach somebody. And it probably happened against Baltimore, but that's really about it. And not only that, I mean, we're really kind of focusing on the offensive side of the ball with him because he's an offensive coach, but the defense has regressed. Yeah. I mean, look at those three missed tackles on the 75-yard catch and run by Noah Font. I mean, that shouldn't be happening at this point in the season. And if Freddie Kitchens is overseeing the whole team, which we know he is, he's he's in part responsible for that sort of thing, too. So the whole operation comes under the Freddie Kitchens umbrella now. Yeah, yeah, and then we do need to, you know, Steve Wilkes needs to be better. And you know, Mike Prefer's been pretty good. The special teams have been good. So that's an area where you, where you can say, okay, things have been good. But, you know, it's not just Freddie. Steve Wilkes has to be better. And the other element here is... John Dorsey brought in all this talent, and if he's looking down there and he's seeing that this talent is getting wasted, two things happen. People start looking at him and saying, well, maybe he didn't do as good a job as we thought, and also he's not going to stand there and watch the talent that he believes he brought in and the roster he built get wasted because he didn't sign Kareem Hunt and take that PR hit because he thought they would be 2-6. and six. And not, not only that, in addition to the fact that you know, you can look at this offense and say, okay, what was the big upgrade? What's the what's the reason why we thought this offense, at least in the first eight games, was going to be so much better? And you look at it and you say, okay, it was Odell Beckham Jr. Well, it's not only that. It should have also have been the 25% increase in Baker Mayfield that you expected him to take this year. And he hasn't taken that. Now, I think there are some extenuating circumstances to that. And I asked him about that today. Uh Antonio Callaway suspended. Rashard Higgins, his one go-to guy on the team that he got to practice with last year, uh, is still in the doghouse. And he may not get out of the doghouse this year. I mean, if he wasn't in the doghouse, he would be playing. So we can call that what it is. He's in the doghouse. I mean, there's no way that he isn't because Antonio Callaway's not playing well enough to have all those reps. Rashard should be taking half of those reps away from him at least. And he's not. So Baker has had a lot to deal with in that way. An offensive line that has struggled somewhat, David Njoku being out. Maybe David Njoku has the awareness to keep his feet inbounds on the post uh, pattern in the back of the end zone that Demetrius Harris didn't catch. I don't know. Maybe yes, maybe no. But I think he was ready to step up a little bit and build on the season that he had last year. I think Baker has had a lot of things that have worked against him in this first eight games of the season, including – New, some new scheme issues, uh, you know, new offensive coordinator and those sorts of things. But he hasn't taken that 25% jump that John Dorsey expected him to. 
Yeah, and one thing I'm realizing here that I find interesting is there's a world where this all just takes care of itself. Mary Kay mentioned the schedule. Two games with Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, Miami. Uh, if the Browns go out, get swept by the Steelers, lose to Miami, split with Cincinnati, some sort of combination like that, essentially they keep losing games they should win, like Denver against the first-time starting quarterback, this will take care of itself. Freddie will be gone just on principle alone, and what commonly happens in Cleveland, the coaching search will continue. So uh, those are some of our bigger topics. Before we get into our football insider, uh, Mary Kay, I'm going to pass it to you, and can you tell everyone how they can sign up to get exclusive questions to this podcast and text to you through Football Insider? Uh, yeah, all you need to do, do is log on to cleveland.com slash browns, click on the blue banner at the top of that page, and there you'll have an opportunity to sign up. You, you can start with a two-week free trial. If you really like it, and we know that you will, after that it will be $3.99 a month, which I think, Dan, is probably about the price of the coffee that you're drinking right now. Close right? to it. Close, Close to, to it? it. Okay, so one cup of coffee one cup of coffee per month to get from all of us an exclusive piece of content every single day. We'll delve into some topic, maybe some statistics that you won't see anywhere else, some analysis, a video, something along those lines. And then on a daily basis, you will receive texts to me that you can take right to the water cooler and say, hey, you know, I just found out uh, in a text from Mary Kay that Demarius Randall's going to play this week or... Odell Beckham Jr. is limited with a groin injury. Uh, some things like that that, you know, or some kind of an, an, a quick take on the news of the day. I try to do a lot of that, you know, an opinion on something that Baker just said or Freddie just said. Uh, so we try to keep it real personal, uh, you know, straight to you and lots of other great things that you get for, for that price. So that's Mary Kay Cabot on how you can get signed up with Football Insider if you haven't. You're missing out. As she said, we have great content coming to you guys daily. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll get into your football insider questions here on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. My name's Ellis Williams, joined by beat writer Dan Lobby and insider Mary Kay Cabot. Let's jump right into your football insider questions. This first one coming from area code 740, asking, will they put both running backs on the field? meaning Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. Do you think there's enough footballs to go around for now, which will be Chubb, Hunt, Landry, and Beckham? To that, you guys say? Yes, we will see them both on the field. There was a funny moment that actually wasn't funny, and that's why I thought it was funny. Uh, last week, Freddie Kitchens has always gone back to this joke. Every year, he joked when he first took over that maybe the Browns would run some wishbone, and everybody laughed, and then they came out and ran wishbone his first game as offensive coordinator against the Chiefs and Kareem Hunt. Um, he's kind of gone back to that joke over and over again, and it's always gotten big laughs, and then last week he made a wishbone joke, and it kind of got very muted laughter in the room, which kind of says where everyone is with Freddie Kitchens at this point, but this might be the week. This might, I think we saw it a couple games ago. I don't remember exactly when. I think we did see the wishbone once. This might be the week when we see it again, and it might actually work this time. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, whenever he's kidding about that, he's, he's not really joking. And I do think that you will see these guys on the field at the same time. Why not? As we said before, you really don't want to take Nick Chubb off the field too often. Uh, 
I think it will be nice for him to have uh, a breather or a blow every once in a while so that he doesn't, so he can keep fresh legs in this second half of the season. He's been going strong since training camp. Uh, but I do think you'll see them on the field together at times because you can do so many different things with Kareem. You can play him in the slot. You can play him. You can split him out wide. You can try the wishbone. Uh, so many different things. And, uh, you know, maybe even a little bit as a fullback type of situation, yeah. lead back. Um, so, yeah, I think you'll see both of them out there. Yeah, the interesting number with Hunt in 2018 is his numbers rushing were down a little bit. He had 824 yards in 11 games or you know, over 1,300 the year before. But his receiving numbers were still really good. Uh, he had 26 catches for 378 yards, seven receiving touchdowns in 2018 playing with Patrick Mahomes. So they, they used him in the passing game a lot more in that pass-heavy odds. They went to kind of more of a pass-heavy Mahomes-centered offense uh, as opposed to Alex Smith the year before. So you can split him out wide. You can put him at wide receiver. You can put him in the slot and let Chubb, Chubb be the running back. And I think that could cause some problems. Well, hopefully uh, Baker will go to him in the red zone <laughs> if he's there. Uh, I mean, if, if Patrick can throw him seven touchdown passes, Baker should be able to get him some too. Yeah, the genius behind a lot of those Kareem Hunt touchdowns in Kansas City was probably uh, Andy Reid, which Freddie Kitchens has a long way to go to get there. Uh, as for Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb being in the backfield at the same time, I'd be willing to bet that Kitchens tries something like that in the very first play, just putting them both back there. Uh, he's already started the year with uh, some gadget plays like that. You think of the Odell Beckham reverse pass. Uh, and I know there's been a few times this year already where he's had Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham in the backfield at the same time. So if he's willing to put two receivers back there at the same time, eventually we're going to see Chubb and Hunt back there. It creates a lot of issues for defenses, and you can put them in some pretty tough situations, as Mary Kay mentioned, with Kareem Hunt's ability to score in the red zone in Kansas City. Hopefully, uh, Kitchens and the staff is watching tape on how Andy Reid was able to get him opened over there. What they can't do is try to get too cute or too complicated yep. with things because this is a football team that has committed a lot of penalties, especially a lot of offensive penalties, and at times they they have had difficulty getting lined up. Jarvis Landry had to burn the second timeout in the second half of that game because they were in an illegal formation. So they need to be careful about that kind of stuff. I mean, you want to be creative and you want to, you know, get back to, as Doug once, uh, Doug Lee Maurice once wrote the column, you want to get back to fun Freddie, but you also uh, don't want to put too much on the plate of an offense that has been inefficient this season. And the other thing too is the, the fun Freddie stuff is great when you're a young team and you got a quarterback, a rookie quarterback, and you're trying to sneak up on people. You're going to be a more talented team. Sometimes you just got to line up and be who you are, and Kareem Hunt's going to help this team hopefully be able to do that. Yeah, fun Freddie may also look like too cute Freddie sometimes. This team just needs to come out, play football, and win a game. So from uh, the 419 area code, we have, when is Freddie going to realize that he should give up the play calling to his OC? He needs consulting help. Well, this is a complicated issue because uh, Freddie came from, you know, the Arizona Cardinals, Bruce Arians, Todd Haley offense. Todd Munkin comes from a different kind of offensive philosophy, okay? So you're trying to put together and blend two sort of football families, two football philosophies, and it, it doesn't always work the way that you want it to. And so I don't think it's just as easy as all of a sudden turning the play calling over to Todd Munkin. I don't think it's 
I, I just don't think that would work only because I don't think he completely 100% runs the whole Freddy offense. And you'd basically be changing things up almost too drastically at this point is, is what I'm thinking. I mean, if you were going to do what we're suggesting, uh, you know, you would, you would you know, want to turn it over, you know, ideally maybe to your quarterback's coach. Well, he's not ready for that. I mean, this is his first year as a quarterback's coach. So I don't think it's a simple solution to try to do that, even though from the outside looking in, it seems like it would be because Todd Munkin is a very experienced play caller. And he interviewed for head coaching jobs last year. And when he ran the Tampa offense, they had the most prolific passing game in the NFL. When Dirk Cutter tried to take it back, it flopped. They gave it right back to Todd Munkin. So there's a lot of uh, evidence that says, try this. It would probably work. But I just think it's too vastly different from what Freddie does. And the reason Freddie got this job is play calling and his relationship with Baker Mayfield. So now if he gives up play calling, it becomes kind of that office space situation where you sit down and say, okay, so what exactly do you do, you do here? Yeah. So um, yeah, I, I think he's going to, he's been very adamant. He's not giving up play calling. That's why he got the job. I think, he understands that if he gives that up, it just maybe opens the door a little more to say, okay, so why exactly is Freddie Kitchen still here? I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon, unless John Dorsey were to step in and say, we got to do this. Yeah, I think it would have to come from John. I mean, there is no way Freddie is giving up that play calling. How many times, and I think he got some advice from Bill Parcells, who is his mentor, how many times has he said recently, it's execution? Somebody said, what's missing? Execution. I asked him, about the red zone. What's going on? Do you need to go back to the drawing board and overhaul your red zone package? Nope, it's execution. So he's basically trying to say, I'm coaching it right, we're scheming it up right, they're not making the plays. Yeah, which essentially is Freddie being all in. This is his ship and he's gonna go down with it if that's where this keeps trending. Uh, Dan, you brought up an interesting point about the office space situation and what you're doing here. So quickly, can we just speculate, like what, is Todd Munkin necessarily doing here? Not that he doesn't deserve a paycheck and deserve to be on this staff, but where do you guys think his wrinkles are in this offense, or is he really just not a, as much a part of this as we're led to believe? That's a great question. <laughs> I, I think part of it is, obviously, he's probably running some offensive meetings. He's probably doing a lot of that stuff that Freddie can't do because he's got to be the head coach. We've seen some of that air raid four vert stuff a little bit early in the year. I don't know if we've seen quite as much of it recently. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think at some point this probably comes to a head, maybe at the end of the season, if they decide to to hang on to Freddie after this season, maybe it maybe just isn't going to work. I, I don't know that one way or another. Right. But you, you do have to wonder if maybe this this marriage can last if they decide to keep Freddie Kitchens around. Yeah, I mean, I think those guys are getting along. Yep. So I don't think they're at war with each other by any stretch of the imagination. But by the same token, I think Todd is just kind of going along with what Freddie's trying to do uh, because he knows that's his role. He knows that he came in not to call plays, but to be the offensive coordinator. I think he does run all the offensive meetings and I think he sets it up and hands, you know, a, a package of plays and things over to Freddie. And then he decides what he wants to call on game day. And of course, Freddie has a lot of other things on his plate. So Todd probably basically runs the show during the week. Uh, but I think for the most part, he has adapted to what Freddie is doing. 
and I don't think he is running the offense or would be running the offense that he would want to. And so, yeah, I don't know if they're going to be together beyond this year, to be honest with you. He, we should also mention he is the eyeing this guy, too. He's, right. he's in the box. He's not on the sideline. So he's in the box on game day. So he's kind of Freddie's eyes up high. And, you know, it doesn't mean the offensive coordinator has to be that guy, but that's part of what Munkin's role is. He sits in the, he's, he's in the booth and not down on the field. Yeah, if this team does keep Freddie Kitchens going forward, it'll be interesting to see where Todd Munkin falls in all of this. As you said, Mary Kay, someone who interviewed for head coaching jobs, obviously wants one, and you would assume his time's coming, maybe not next season based off the results of the Browns this year, but he'll be a guy eventually that probably lands one. Yeah, I mean, if nothing else, I think he would want to go somewhere where he is calling the plays because you want to get on track, on that head coaching track, and you're going to get there by being the play caller. If that's not going to happen for him here, then I, I would think that he might have other opportunities to get his career back the way he wants it. And you look at a guy like Eric Bieniemy in Kansas City. I mean, they've had a great offense, and last year it felt like maybe he was going to get a head coaching job, but every time his name came up, what would you hear? Well, he wasn't the one calling the plays. Right. Yeah. He was running the installs. He was running the meetings. He was doing all that stuff. I don't even think he got an interview here. Right. So, yeah, I mean, play calling is something that always comes up when, when you talk about hiring an offensive coordinator to be a head coach. One of the first questions that gets asked, did he call the plays? So, yeah, it's, I don't know that it's a prerequisite all the time. And certainly for fans, and, and for fans, they think, they think about that a lot. But it does hinder you if you kind of look at a guy and say, well, he didn't call the plays. Yeah, I think, I, I just suspect that next year he will want to be calling the plays somewhere. Uh, because you get to that certain point in your career where if you want to be a head coach, you've got to be on that fast track to that, and it doesn't really generally happen unless you are that guy. So, Mary Kay, just to challenge you a little bit, it, it sounds like you don't see a spot for Monk in here long-term with Cleveland. Only if he is fine with accepting the role that he has right yeah. now without calling the plays and not trying to aspire to be a head coach. And I think he wants that. I mean, he wanted it in last offseason, so why would he not want it now? I think he came here thinking, just like other people that came here, I think they thought, this looks like a pretty talented football team, and it might work out well for all of us here, and if it doesn't work out well for all of us here, we might get opportunities to go somewhere else and maybe you know interview for head coaching jobs and things like that. It hasn't worked out like that, uh, so I don't know. It's not that you know I, I definitely think that you know, it's not like I think he's going to get fired or anything like that. I just think that uh, he probably will, before too long, want an opportunity to call the plays. Yeah, and, you know, I think that's well put, Mary Kay, from everyone in the front office uh, down to the beat writers in this room to my friends back in Minnesota even. Everyone thought this Cleveland Browns team was going to be a team that was playing in the playoffs, uh, was lighting up scoreboards, and I can see why a, a coach would – see this situation as an opportunity to build their profile, build their resume, and then look for uh, a better opportunity elsewhere. But we all misread that one. That brings me to a question that I want to ask you guys. Uh I'm going off script. Sorry. Here we go. I'm supposed to be under control here. (laughs) Is it over? We'll edit this out later. Is it over? I mean, did this week, was this weekend with the Browns losing and the Ravens winning, is it over? Finito. Done. Not yet. I think it is hanging on by a finger. Okay. Uh, I think the AFC 
is still a little questionable. Mm -hmm. I think there's a path, but it involves, it might come down to those Steelers games. Right. I don't think it's completely over, but you've got to have a pretty incredible run, right? I mean, let's just say you have to win nine games. So what would that put you at? Seven, seven you have to go one. seven and one. You gotta go seven and one. So that would include wow. That would include beating Buffalo. You've got to beat Buffalo because they're ahead of you in the wild card. Right, gotta and they're Buffalo. not and they're not gonna win the division. So they're gonna get one of those two wild cards to compete. Uh you gotta you probably gotta beat Baltimore, although Baltimore is probably gonna win the division. Right. Um so maybe that's the one you can lose. Right. Because you're not gonna win the AFC North. I wouldn't go that far. So I think there's still a path, but you probably have to go seven and one, and you've got to really beat the teams you can beat. And it might come down to you have to sweep Pittsburgh, <laughs> which we know how hard it is. We know how hard it is for this team to beat Pittsburgh, no matter who's playing. And Pittsburgh is Pittsburgh's been playing well. That's a tough football team. And that'd be twice in three weeks. They'd have to do it. Yeah, you'd have to do it on a Thursday night, which is always a, a random game. You can never judge anything on a Thursday night, and then you got to do it on a you know what. A week and a half later. Yeah. Yep. So it's... Yeah, the schedule... The, I don't think it's over. But it's going to be really, really hard. And if they lose this week, it's over. What I think is over, and I think we can all agree on this, is winning the AFC North, right? I mean, I think we are all in agreement that that's not happening. I mean, I still thought it could happen right. if, they, if things had been reversed this week. If the Ravens lost to the Patriots, the Browns beat the Broncos... They pull within, that would have pulled them within two games, right? Yep. That would have pulled them within two games behind the Ravens heading into the easier portion of their schedule, and the Ravens still have a lot of really tough football games. That was the turning point for me. That's where I said, that's it. Now the Ra- there's no way the Ravens aren't winning the AFC North after last weekend. Yeah, and I think the Ravens have a lot to do with answering the question, is this over? Because... Like Dan, I don't think I can say it definitely is, you know, never say never, if you will. But inside that building, especially on Monday, I know we really only saw Freddie in the locker room was empty, but it felt over. Mm-hmm. There, was a, there was a sense of just emptiness and defeat in there. And maybe that's just a case of the gloomy Mondays after a loss and a tough road game. I get it. But to lose to a first time starting quarterback in the fashion they did and then to have to watch or read or however the heck they consume that Ravens Patriots game to follow I mean talk about kicking someone when they're down that had to be just crushing defeating and deflating because look check our Twitter mentions or just take the survey of the fans they feel let down and defeated and the Ravens game had to have so much to do with that especially with it being the Patriots and just everything that came with that so is it over? I'm not entirely sure, but does it feel over? Yes. Can we, can we just real quick, I mean, let's look at the teams in front of them. Uh, of course, there's Buffalo, who would be the first wild card right now. They're 6-2. and two. You win that game, you can kind of dent their chances a little bit. Indianapolis would be the second wild card right now. They might be without Jacoby Brissett. That helps the Browns, but that's still a good football team. Pittsburgh, 4-4. Four and four, You play them twice. Oakland, 4-4. Four and four, You don't play them at all. Jacksonville is 4-5, and five, and they're getting Nick Foles back. Uh, so, they're, they're hoping to start winning, and I don't have these team schedules in front of me, but you know how it is. Tennessee, 4-5. and five. The Chargers, 4-5. and five. They're a team that always plays really well, and they just fired their offensive coordinator and won a game against Green Bay, and they always play really well in the second half, so that's going to be tough. And then Denver's in front of you now. Mm-hmm. 
and Denver beat you. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, I just listed a bunch of teams that you have to jump. The only teams worse than the Browns right now in the AFC are Miami, the Jets, and Cincinnati. Oh, that is just... That's unbelievable. That's If you're a Browns fan, that's a hard thing to hear right now. Remember when John Harbaugh said the Browns are the most talented team in the AFC North? And again, there was probably a little method to his madness there, <laughs> oh, yeah. but still, uh, an argument could have been made. You have to jump seven teams. Oh. The Browns have to jump seven teams to get to the playoffs. And, you know, Pittsburgh, like I said, Pittsburgh's four and four. And they can get to nine and seven. Yeah. Uh, Oakland can probably get to nine and seven. They've been better than people think. Jacksonville, you know, these are all teams that have the potential yeah. to maybe get to nine and seven. I'm not saying they all, they obviously won't all do it, but you've got a lot of work in front of you. Let me ask you this. If the Browns lose twice to the Pittsburgh Steelers, is Freddie just like gone? Well, you know what happens when. Yes. I mean, we've been through this a million <laughs> times. We know what happens on that bus ride back from Pittsburgh. Oh, yeah. With every head coach. They come home and clean out their office. It's the death march. <laughs> well, it's, it's always. It's their game. <laughs> well, right? Yeah, no, that's. If a, they lose twice. Yeah. And I'll tell you, that's going to be a very motivated Pittsburgh Steelers defense. Yep. They're going to be loaded for bear. And we've lost a lot of arguments for this team making a run. Right. Because what, what were the arguments? Well, Pittsburgh lost Ben Roethlisberger, and they have a backup quarterback. Well, look what just happened in Denver, right? You lost to a team that was starting. I don't even know if he's, I mean, technically he's their backup, but if Drew Locke had been healthy, he probably would, would have been the one playing that game, or had he been healthy before this week. Uh, you know, there's just, there's nothing that gives me any confidence in any of these games other than Miami still probably doesn't want to win, and the only team they've beaten is the Jets, and Cincinnati probably doesn't want to win. But the, that's the only confidence I have in the second half of this schedule. Yeah. yeah, it's unfortunate. It really is to to hear it like that, to look at it like that. The season of great expectations to be on life support right now. And the, the people that I feel so bad for are the fans that were so excited about this season. They've already seen three losses at home. They better go out and win this darn football game for these fans on Sunday. Yeah, it's not, they don't have a choice, but that's how we felt with them going to Denver and Look at us here now. So, listeners, I want to detail something here. You know, we just took a few questions from the subscribers, and then we had the insider herself, Mary Kay Cabot, inject her own question into Football Insider. So, <laughs> listen, get your questions here. Clearly, it's a fun place to have them answered, and discussions keep rolling. So, with that, we're going to transition out of your questions. As always, thank you for injecting those. And I want to pivot over to something I like to call Life on the Beat. Uh, this is a spot where we get to peel back the curtain a little bit. You guys get to know uh, Cleveland.com's Browns beat writers. So Mary Kay Cabot, Dan Lobby were just in Denver, and it sounds like, as they tend to do, have an exciting time on the road. Uh, Mary Kay, I heard you had a, a rough night in Denver. Do you want to go elaborate on what happened to you there? Yes, let me tell you about my night in Denver. Well, it started out beautifully. Um you know, I went bopping around. De Denver's just an amazing city. I mean, there's just the mountains in the background, and uh, there's energy, and there's life, and there's white lights. I'm always a sucker for white lights. I love little white lights everywhere. And, um, you know, they they just have such a cool 16th Street that it's full of, you know, restaurants and shops and people, and it's so much fun. Uh, so went out on 16th and um, actually met Dan for dinner, and uh, one of our other great friends, Nate Ulrich, a, a 
a listener of the Orange and Browns Talk podcast. So there we, go. Uh, we had a really nice dinner. So then I go back to my hotel, and it had been cold in my room. It's a nice little boutique hotel in Denver. Great hotel it was. Um, but for some reason, it had been cold in my room during the day, and I was working and just trying to get out, and I really didn't pay too much attention to it. Uh, you know, I just had my coat on, and I wasn't too worried about it. Well, I got back after dinner, and it was freezing in my room. I mean, absolutely freezing. It was like 60 degrees in the room. And I called downstairs to the front desk, and they were like, you know, we're at full capacity. There's nothing we can really do. We'll try to reset it from central here, and uh, hopefully that'll work. Uh, so 15 minutes later, nothing. It's still 60 degrees. I wait another 15 minutes, still 60 degrees in the room. I'm like, okay, there's nothing I can do about this right now. I just have to deal with it. So I wore my winter coat, and then they had a robe in the room. So I put oh, no. the robe over the winter coat. Now, I will say, I have been known to sleep in my clothes anyways. I'm kind of known for doing that. It just dates all the way back to college, sure. where I just drop in whatever I have on. Yep. <laughs> so you got to sleep, you got to sleep. I'm notorious for that anyways. So and boots, jeans, it's like, it's just a thing. So there I was in my, you know, boots, jeans, winter coat, robe, you know, under the covers, freezing to death all night long. And I mm. couldn't sleep. And then we had a time, not only did we have the time change, but we also had turn back the clocks. Uh, so right. we were all messed up with the time, right? Yep. Dan almost didn't even meet us. For I, yeah, I was all thrown off when they were making dinner plans. And I thought, oh, you know, they were going to. I was starving and they were going to eat way later than I wanted to go eat. And I realized what time it was. And then of course, all of us on, on the beat, I think have the same complaint. We can never sleep past about five, six o'clock when we're on the West coast or when we're in mountain time, it's just right. for whatever reason, that first night, and we're only out there one or two nights. Anyway, you wake up at five in the morning on Sunday and you can't get back to sleep, but back to this incredible story. So there I was waking up at five o'clock in the morning or whatever the heck time it was really, because I had three different, timepieces telling me three different things at that point. So I wake up at what I thought was about five o'clock in the morning and I was frozen. My nose was cold. My fingers were cold. And I was going to be in the room for another six more hours. We were not going to check out until 11 o'clock to go to the game. So I called downstairs and I said, I can't take this anymore. I'm frozen. And they were like, all right, well, we can put you in another room. Uh, so when you get a chance, you know, we'll bring up the key and you can go move to room 163. All right. And I was like, all right, well, wait a minute. I just have to wait a little bit and check in for my, you know, how important it is to check in for one of those flights that you have to get, uh, you have to hit that button. As soon South, as you Southwest. Can. Southwest flyers will know what Southwest. I'm talking about. I'm yeah. allowed to say that. Okay. So <laughs> I stayed in the room, checked in for my flight, got everything all packed up uh, in my, my work bag, my suitcase, and I go to room 163. I open the door, and I also, the first thing I feel is like it's warm in here. That was good news. But it was like the story of the three bears <laughs> because <laughs> there was a dude sleeping in the bed. What? Yes. You guys, this is the first time I've heard this story. That's a real reaction. <laughs> My goodness. And I kind of screamed and he kind of screamed. Oh, wow. And he didn't really scream, but we kind of like startled him. Yeah, each other. of course. And uh, yeah, my heart was pounding. Oh. Pounding. So. He asked me to stay. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Hopefully. Hopefully he falls asleep in what he's wearing, too. <laughs> yes. yes. Plot twist. He was fully clothed. <laughs> I don't know about a robe or a coat, but he had right. lots of clothes on. I know that. Oh, man. But um, so anyways, so yeah. So then I had to march back to the front desk and tell them, you just put me in a room with a dude and this just isn't going to work. I'm happily married. 
I'll roll like this, okay? So, <laughs> oh, so I had man. to go back to my freezing cold room, but this time they offered me a space heater. Why couldn't they have offered me the space heater the night before? My so goodness. I plugged in the space heater, and the room got nice and toasty, and there we And the circus was over. Yes. I, I am convinced, oh, by the wait, way. Oh, wait, there's more. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. So I go back to my room. <laughs> I go back to my room, and I'm like, okay, I'm going back to sleep. So I start to fall asleep. The maid bursts into the room. Oh, doesn't man. knock on the door. Nope. So then I called downstairs, and I was like, please tell them I'm in here till 11 o'clock. I'm trying to sleep for a little bit. No more. I don't need maid service. I'm good to go. Fine. No problem. Two more times the maid burst oh, into the room. Oh, man, Mary Kay. Yeah, so that was my night. Life on the beat. So I, I'm actually convinced um, this was one of the rare trips where we were staying in the same hotel and then Nate was uh, staying like a block away. And so, you know, we're, we were all going to meet down in the lobby of, of this hotel and take a lift. So I am convinced because of when I was getting on the elevator at this hotel, it comes down, door opens, it's packed so I couldn't get on. And this one guy... I get recognized like maybe once a year. <laughs> that, that's about it. About once a year I get recognized. And this one guy goes, Dan Labby. <laughs> of course it's not. He's saying my name. Like, oh, hey, hey, how are you? He says, I ran into Mary Kay Cabot earlier. <laughs> and then when I get down to the lobby, Mary Kay relays the story to me. I'm just wondering. <gasps> did, oh, my God. He didn't just say wondering where if this was he was going. Oh, no, he just said he ran into Mary Kay Cabot oh, earlier. Oh, my gosh. Could it's be. all coming together. And the door closed. I didn't have a chance to get details. So maybe <laughs> maybe, he was, maybe, he, was maybe the guy. he was the guy. Oh, my goodness. And that right there is just a little piece and beauty of life on the beat. You can't make this stuff up. You know, you wonder when anything goes wrong in Denver, if it has anything to do with, you know, that thing that <laughs> – Seems to be very legal there, and we <laughs> most enjoy because that sounds like a circus that um, can only be explained for a few reasons. But man, I'm glad uh, you warmed up due to the space heater and you got to the game. And yeah. as always, you guys did a great job reporting. So uh, just quickly, you guys are home now after what feels like being on the road for for whatever it feels like. Yes, like a four month. out of five games yeah, on the road. We've exactly, been all over the place. Exactly. Dan, you're happy to be home, and what does that just mean compared to, you know, uh, taking I, these road trips? I am. I don't know how these NBA guys and, and Major League Baseball guys do it because they're on, I mean, they'll go out to the West Coast for two weeks, and then they'll come home and have a shoot-around like, yeah. the next day. And uh, So I don't know how these guys do it, but yeah, this has been a very road-heavy uh, travel schedule. It, you know, it puts a strain on the home life and kids, and you're trying to deal with stuff from thousands of miles away sometimes. Uh, the time change messes with you, early flights. My, I've scheduled my flights way too early this year. I get about two hours of sleep on Sunday. Um, so, you know, I'm glad that that stuff is over and that we have a nice normal month here to kind of readjust to home life before we have to hit the road again. And, and even that's an easy trip. Not that we're complaining. I don't want anybody out there to think that we're complaining that we get to travel and watch football. Right, right. But it's just, you know, it's nice to be home for a little while. Of well, course. it's funny because, again, we stayed in the uh, in the same boutique hotel nice nice place the price was right um but oh no we moved over to the airport we moved yeah over to the mary airport. kay and i were just following each other around this this trip yeah, but we, yeah we, we moved stayed. we the denver airport is really far away from downtown and we were both on the same flight too right we were on the same flight. there were like four yeah. or five people from cleveland from the cleveland media on that flight and it was like six in the morning so we wanted to be closer to the airport yeah so i took the 4 a.m shuttle to the airport <laughs> And Dan slept in for another 
20 minutes. Yeah, it took the 420, took the 420 shuttle, shuttle, which was I, appropriate based on where we were. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Wait for that one. <laughs> and I ended up just, we ran into each other then at the uh, TSA pre-screen line. Yeah, we're going up and down the line and like, having a conversation <laughs> yeah, every yeah. time we pass. I'll be right back. I'll be right back. <laughs> Incredible. Well, no traveling this week as the Browns are home hosting the Bills. And again, that's just life on the beat. We try and peel the curtain back a little bit for you listeners and is share some fun stuff that happens on the road while covering this team. Uh, very quickly, I want to share just uh, what's happening with Insider, as Mary Kay detailed earlier. Uh, Football Insider is not only how you can get your questions on this podcast and exclusive texts from Mary Kay Cabot, but you'll also get uh, emailed a newsletter that uh, rounds up our stories and also features uh, content only found on Football Insider uh, this week. I will feature previews on rookie running back for the Bills, Devin Singletary, and how he's a player to watch for the Bills. And I also want to compare and contrast uh, quarterback Josh Allen and Baker Mayfield. It wasn't too long ago that there was a lot of talk, real talk, about uh, Josh Allen being the quarterback of the Browns. I know Mary Kay would have liked to see that happen. Not that anything's wrong with Baker Mayfield, but she was uh, strong for Josh Allen, who ended up in Buffalo. So those are two things uh, you guys can look forward to coming up on Football Insider. And before we get out of here, simply, look, it's been a, a wild season here with the Browns. Uh, predicting a game on a Wednesday, especially with how the season's been going, seems unfair. So simply, I just want to get a pulse on how you guys feel right now, uh, how this game will go before we get to Sunday. Right now, I'm actually leaning towards picking the Browns. For all the things we've talked about and all the you know chaos we've discussed and, and all of that, I'm for some reason, I just feel like kind of picking the Browns. I just so often I think we get a little bit tilted towards thinking a certain way and we go into a game and think there's absolutely no way this Browns team can go into this game and win it. And I just wonder if this is maybe the game to zag on that or zag or I don't know what it would be, but to, to just kind of go the other direction here because maybe this is just one of those wonky weeks where the Browns figure it out and they come home finally, and the crowd is amped up, and there'll probably be a lot of Bills fans in that crowd too. I don't know. Right now, a couple days before we actually have to make our pick, I'm leaning towards the Browns for not a lot of good reasons, but I just sometimes you got to trust your gut, yep. and, and that's where my gut is right now. Yeah, it's a tough pick. This one is tough. It is. You know, I have had uh, some weeks where I, I struggled with my pick, other weeks where I haven't. This is a week that I'm going to struggle to decide who I want to pick to win this game uh, because I think that their defense is very good. Now, they haven't played a lot of really super tough winning opponents, so you have to factor that in. But whenever I try to factor that in, it doesn't seem to matter. Yeah. That was the rationale that I used <laughs> uh, way back when when I picked the uh, – I'm going to admit this. I picked the Browns to beat the 49ers. What was I thinking? Oh, yeah. But, um, but anyway, so I think this is a, a tough – game to pick because they have a really, really good defense. Uh, but yet also I think that they have a quarterback in Josh Allen that, um, you know, he turns the ball over some. And if that defensive line, which we're still waiting to wake up and have that dominant game and now Olivier Vernon yeah. could miss this game, uh, you know, this is a, a quarterback that, you know, that maybe they can disrupt him a little bit, get him off his mark, uh, force him into some interceptions, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with my pick yet. Wednesday is too early for me. I don't have a feel for it yet. 
Yeah, Mary Kay, I agree. Uh, you know, the, the Browns could be 6-2, and two, and this still would be a tough game to pick. Uh, the defense, who hasn't been signed with the run anyway, Philip Lindsay averaged 10 of carry last week, 92 yards. Um, they're thinner now than they've been. Uh, I know the secondary was banged up to start the year, but now we're looking at uh, no Eric Murray, no Jermaine Whitehead, obviously, Olivia Vernon, you mentioned. This is a team that's thinning, and the Bills are going to come and punch in the mouth. They're going to run the football. Mm -hmm. Josh Allen knows how to pick up first downs with his feet. This team's just, they're going to get in a few, got to have third downs, Mm -hmm. and I'm worried they won't be able to get off the field, which then puts pressure on the offense to produce and score, which they haven't been doing. It sounds like I just walked myself into Buffalo, but again, Cleveland's home. You think they got to just get one here. So again, too early to call, but right now those are the things we're all juggling internally. So with that, we'll wrap up. Uh, Thank you guys for listening. Uh, Before we get out of here, I want to remind everyone, Football Insider, to sign up, 14-day free trial. Click the blue banner at the top of cleveland.com slash browns to get your questions on this podcast and get exclusive text from Insider Mary Kay Cabot and our newsletter, which features content you can only find there. For Dan Lobby, Mary Kay Cabot, and Ellis Williams, this is the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Thanks for listening, everyone.